This was a number of years ago. It was the second time I was attending the Together for the Gospel conference in Louisville, Kentucky, T4G. And I was at the hotel. I was on, I think, about the 15th or 16th floor. And I was heading down to one of the sessions. And I got on the elevator. I was by myself. We go about two floors down. And the elevator opens up. And this older man walks on. And um, I greeted him. And, you know, we're just having a little bit of a conversation. And I just asked him, I said, what do you think of the conference? You know, you know this year... It's your first time here. Are you, are you having a good time? And he just said, no, not my, not my first time. And I'm having, I'm having a great time. And then the elevator stops and CJ Mahaney gets on. And CJ looks at the older man standing next to me and goes, hey, John. It was John MacArthur. <laughs> <laughs> what was sad about that moment was that I had watched John preach just a couple of days before. And I had seen him at the conference the year, a couple of years before that. But for some reason, I did not recognize him. Now, for more than a year and a half, we have been studying Matthew's gospel. This gospel was written to help the original readers, primarily a Jewish audience at that time, recognize and know and believe in Jesus Christ as the Messiah, the incarnate Son of God. And it was was written for those folks that they would recognize who Christ is. It was also written for us that we might again and again recognize who Christ is. Now you may think, well, I I already know Jesus, so, so why... Why even mention this? Why, why this journey? Why such a long journey through this gospel? <laughs> Listen, there will never be a day here or in heaven where you and I will be able to exhaust our knowledge of the infinite and eternal God. There'll never be a day. The ancient of days, the alpha and the omega who has always existed That is who we are studying. That is who we are learning about. Our greatest endeavor in this life and the next is to grow in our knowledge of God that we might glorify him. That's what we've been called to. Paul writes in Ephesians 1, 15 through 21, he writes, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints... I do not cease to give thanks for you remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and the revelation revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us, who believe. This is why we have spent more than 18 months in Matthew's gospel. For this reason, my friends, that you may grow in the knowledge of him. Your knowledge of him may be new, it may be long-standing, but may you grow that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened, that you may always be reminded of the hope 
to which he has called you, never forgetting this glorious inheritance. And that is why we meet every Sunday. That's why we're here. To explore once again who Christ is. To recognize his wonderful attributes. To see that we have come into the presence of the Alpha and the Omega. That is what happens when you come here on a Sunday. It's why we anchor our entire meeting around the continual reading of God's Word. It's why, it's why we preach. And this is what Matthew is attempting to accomplish in his gospel. That's why he wrote this gospel. That we might know and grow in our knowledge of Jesus Christ. So look with me in Matthew 17 that we might once again meet with the Savior who is present and speaking to you and I through these very words. Matthew 17, verse 22. As they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. And they were greatly distressed. When they came to Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax went up to Peter and said, Does your teacher not pay the tax? He said, Yes, And when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first, saying, What do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth take toll or tax? From their sons or from others? And when he said, From others, Jesus said to him, Then the sons are free. However, not to give offense to them, go to the sea, cast a hook, And take the first fish that comes up, and when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. Let's pray. Father, thank you for once again being present among your people. And thank you for giving us the Holy Spirit to have eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to understand. And may we understand your words today that we might live for your purposes, your glory. So make yourself known. Help us to recognize even further who you are that the world might know who you are. We pray this in your Son's name. Amen. Jesus has been ministering for almost three years, and in that time, he's been preparing his disciples for the mission they will soon have before them. From the very beginning, he has been preparing them. 
They haven't always recognized it. They haven't always understood it, but he has been preparing them. He's demonstrated for them his, his power, his omnipresence, his omniscience. He's demonstrated for them his power over sickness and sin and death. He's revealed himself to them again and again. Each story that we read, and many, many of the, the theologians, the commentators, we, they don't call them stories, they call them pericopes. And uh, I think it's actually a cool word to describe a story. But every little pericope, and there are two here that we read, every little pericope or story in Matthew's gospel has a purpose. Jesus is, is preparing his disciples for what is to come. For both his crucifixion, his death, his resurrection, and preparing them for their mission as they've accompanied him on his mission. And these two stories or pericopes fulfill Matthew's goal to teach his readers, us, and those who shortly followed these disciples, about the Christ. To, to remind us, to help us recognize once again, because that's exactly what Jesus is doing in these stories in order to prepare his disciples for what's to come. He's trying to help them recognize who he is. And they've had a hard time of it. So two points to consider in our passages this morning, the human and divine nature of Christ, which is so crucial, so critical to these men and to us understanding our, our whole purpose in life, understanding the human and divine nature of, of Christ, and secondly, the mission of Christ and his disciples. That's what Matthew wants us to see in this passage. The first thing we see is his human nature, Let's look at his human nature before we look at his divine nature. Matthew uses this story to remind us of Jesus' identity as a man. As they were gathering, verse 22, in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he'll be raised on the third day. And they were greatly distressed. Matthew reminds us of Jesus' identity as someone who is human. He came to earth in human flesh so that he could satisfy God's justice for our sinful rebellion. A man had to die. A man had to pay the penalty for sin. A man had to experience the wrath and judgment of a holy God so that God's justice could be served. Matthew, in telling this story, is establishing Jesus' humanity, his incarnation. And Jesus foretells this concerning himself, that he will be betrayed and he will be killed. And he's done it out of love for us. That we might experience the redemption of saving grace. Now understand this, God cannot be killed. Only a man could die. 
The gospel is dependent upon Christ's humanity. Not just his death, but his continued presence in heaven as both God and man. Now, maybe you've been a Christian for 10 days, 10 years, 46 years like me, or somewhere in between. Why why is this truth of Christ's humanity, his nature, so important to us today? Why do we need to be reminded of it in Matthew's gospel? How, How does this truth, this reality, have relevance for us now? Listen, not a day goes by, not a day goes by where you and I are not needing the truths of the gospel not a day. We need daily to be reminded of Christ's sacrifice as a man giving up his life, his love. We need to be reminded of his forgiveness. We need to be reminded of his assurances and his promises because we still sin and we still need forgiveness. We still doubt and we still need assurance. We still forget and we need to be reminded of his love and his promises. We, we sang so many songs this morning about trusting God. And the reason we sing songs about trusting God is because there are many times where we don't. There are many times where we struggle to trust God based on the circumstances that are surrounding us. And we, we fail to recognize that he is with us. He is present. We fail to recognize that he is near And so Matthew reminds us of his humanity and tells us this this God who became man is still with us. What do you need to be reminded of this morning? Hebrews 4.15, the writer of Hebrews says this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus sympathizes with you. Jesus cares for you. And we need to be reminded daily that he understands our human frailty. And frail we are. We pray for Despy, who is who is in an assisted living because of Parkinson's and, and MS. We pray for Bill, who's in the hospital with some unknown ailment. We pray regularly for, for Justin Cowan and for Walt and Kathy Rohr and on and on. And all of us have frailties in our lives. And Jesus not only understands it because he is human, but he sympathizes with it. He understands pain. We need to be reminded daily that Jesus understands our frailty. After the resurrection, Jesus didn't shed his human skin in a sense. He still has a body, a glorious body, a perfected human body, a body we have yet to experience, but one day will experience when he transforms us. But Jesus is in his human form, in heaven, interceding for us. First Timothy 2.5, there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men. It would mean Jesus has mediated and he's interceding and it is the man, Christ Jesus. And so let us understand 
Jesus' human nature and what it means for us. Secondly, he has a divine nature. Not just a human nature, a divine na- nature. Jesus and his disciples are now back in Capernaum. They're in what were typically their headquarters. And after arriving, Peter is just pulled aside by these tax collectors who have a question for him. Now, understand, these are not civil or governmental tax collectors. And this passage is not about submitting to every human institution. That's not what this passage is about. This, these men are temple tax collectors. They were collecting what was known as the temple tax. The temple tax first appeared in the book of Exodus, having been instituted by God for the maintenance of the tabernacle and then the temple when it was built. And every male between the ages of 20 and 50 was required to pay that temple tax, which amounted to half a a shekel. I have no idea what a shekel is worth today. Later, the priests and the leaders of the, the nation began to require it on an annual basis. And so one of the reasons that you would have seen the money changers in the temple was that this once-a-year tax was often paid a month or right before Passover. And so these money changers would be in the, in the temple because when people would come from different and further locales, their money may not, their currency may not be the same as what was being collected in Jerusalem. And so the money changers were there charging for the right to change your money so you could pay the temple tax. And in this story... We, we are shown by Matthew three examples of Jesus' divinity. We see his omniscience. He knows what Peter is talking about without being present. We see his status as the king's son. And we see his omnipotence, his, his sovereign provision and power over creation. Look at his omniscience. When, omniscience. when they came to Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax went up to Peter and said, does your teacher pay the tax? He said, yes. And when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first, saying, what do you think, Simon? And so he's referring to Simon responding to saying yes about this temple tax. Now, as you read Mark's account, there is none. Mark doesn't include this in his gospel, nor does Luke, nor does John. Only only Matthew includes this in his gospel. But Matthew shows us here that there is there is a there is something different about Jesus. It's his divinity. He knew about Peter's conversation without being present at Peter's conversation. Imagine Peter's discomfort. He walks in the house, gets ready to speak, and from many commentators' thoughts, this is Peter's house. So he walks into his own house. Before he can say a word, Jesus looks at him and says, so, you've been talking about me. (laughs) And I know what you were saying. (laughs) A very discomforting moment. And then he goes on, and you're making decisions for me. You said I'd pay the tax. J.C. Ryle said this, 
He said, there is something especially solemn in the thought that the Lord Jesus knows all things. There is an eye that sees all our daily conduct. There is an ear that hears all our daily words. All things are naked and open to his eyes. Concealment is impossible. Hypocrisy is useless. We may deceive ministers. We may impose upon our family and friends. But the Lord sees us through and through. We cannot deceive Christ. Let it be our daily aim to say nothing we would not like Christ to hear. And do nothing we would not like Christ to see. Let us measure every difficult question about right and wrong by one simple test. How would I behave if Jesus were standing by my side? Such a standard is not extravagant and absurd. It is a standard that interferes with no duty or relation of life. It interferes with nothing but sin. In other words, God knows what you are thinking. God knows what you are saying. God is present. God is aware. And that is what Matthew is showing us here about Christ. Secondly, we see in his divinity his his status. He acknowledges the temple tax to be an obligation to be paid, but not for him because he is uniquely the king's son. Look, Look what he says And when Peter came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first, saying, What do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth take toll or tax? From their sons or from others? And when he said from others, Jesus said to him, Then the sons are free. And Jesus is communicating. He's he's instructing Peter and the other disciples who who are in the house. He's saying, Look, monarchs, and governments and kings exact attacks on people. Is there anybody here who is not aware of taxes? Yeah. But Jesus is saying here in this, and he's, and he's referring to a secular tax. He's saying, listen, the one person or people who do not pay this tax are the king's family or the king's son. King, as a monarch, doesn't ever go to his son and say, it's time to pay up. No. The king's sons, because they're king's sons or daughters, children, family. And that is what Jesus is communicating to Peter here. My status as the son of God, the son of a king, I'm not required to pay this temple tax. Because the purpose of this temple tax was to support the worship of God. It was to support the maintenance of the temple and the sacrifices in the temple. Should Jesus pay a tax to worship himself? He doesn't need to pay this temple tax. Because as he said earlier in Matthew 12... Someone greater than the temple has come, and it's him. The temple is no longer, Jesus is establishing, the temple is no longer the place where God dwells. It is no longer the place where lambs must be sacrificed and blood spilled. That place, once and for all, is what he just prophesied just a few verses earlier, Calvary. That's where it's all going to be spilled. There will no longer be sacrifices needed in the temple because the cross 
will have the ultimate sacrifice, the final sacrifice once and for all, Jesus himself. The temple, which has stood as the ultimate hope of God's coming, redemption and forgiveness of sins, is now being fulfilled in Jesus Christ. That is what Matthew is teaching. God, God in his mercy, brothers and sisters, created the tabernacle and temple system to atone for the sins of Israel, that, that they might not fall under his righteous judgment, that they may keep their relationship with him. But it was only a temporary solution. It wasn't intended to last forever. And now in Christ, the fullness of time had come, the temple is no longer needed, and the place of worship is where we worship in spirit and truth. So Jesus says, listen, as the son of the king, I don't not only need to pay this tax, but listen, I'm, I, I'm, I, I'm the temple. I, I'm where you worship. I'm the one that you worship. And thirdly, and finally, his divinity is seen once again in his omniscience and sovereignty over creation. What an amazing fish story. If you, and if you like to fish, you like this story. Now, I, I like to play golf. I enjoy golf. And people come to me and say, I don't understand why you can walk around for three and a half hours, four hours in, in hot weather chasing a little white ball. Mark Twain said that golf was a good walk spoiled. <laughs> if he had written a book on fishing, he would have said a good day spoiled. Now, although the temple tax and the temple itself are no longer relevant, Jesus tells Peter to pay the tax anyway so that he won't give offense to the tax collectors, to the religious community. He's protecting from giving offense, from putting a stumbling block before the religious community. So where's the money coming from? He doesn't take it, Jesus doesn't take it from the money bag that Judas carries, but from a most unusual place. Now, if you're between the ages of 30 and 40, or about 60 and 70, you are most likely aware of the donut man. <laughs> yes. And if you're younger, maybe you've heard of the donut man. The donut man is a, name, a man named Rob Evans who traveled the world ministering the gospel to children through very creative songs. He would take Bible songs, he'd put music to them. And this story here in Matthew 17 is one story that the donut man certainly put to music because it's one I will never forget. My children had a Fisher Price cassette player. Now, for those of you who are younger than about 40, a cassette is this little oblong thing that has recording tape inside of it, and you listen to music or people talking on it. And my kids had a, a Fisher-Price cassette player, and whenever we'd go visit my parents, we were living in Atlanta at the time, we'd drive down to Florida, which was a 12-hour drive, they would put their cassettes in the Fisher-Price cassette player. And the one thing they would play over and over and over again was The Donut Man. And this, this one song was one of their favorites. Have you ever heard of a fishy bank? Not a piggy bank, but a fishy bank. Have you ever heard of a fishy bank? Well, that's what Jesus used. On that special day, Jesus came to pay. A fishy, a fishy came to pay. He opened up his mouth and a golden coin popped out. Oh, have you ever heard of a fishy bank? Well, that's what Jesus used. 
And that's what the story's about. In an unusual miracle story, we see Jesus' omniscience and omnipotence, his sovereignty over creation. A funny story, an interesting story, a story not appearing in the other Gospels. And interestingly enough, it's a story where we never see the end to it. Jesus just tells Peter, go fishing, the first fish that you hook, pull it up, pull out a coin, and pay the tax. But we never see that happen. But that doesn't mean it didn't happen. Matthew recorded it because that's what I'm sure did happen. Peter is to pull the very first fish and he will have what he needs to pay the temple tax in this supernatural provision. And so in, these, in this story, we, we see his omniscience, we see his omnipotence, we see his sovereignty. And so that is, that is the, the first thing we see. We see na- Jesus' human nature and his divine nature. And that's what, that's what Matthew wants you and I, brothers and sisters, to recognize as we read this story. He's human and he's divine. And then secondly, the mission of Christ and his disciples. Jesus' mission was and still is the salvation of souls. And he, in this story, wasn't willing to let a temple tax stand in the way of the gospel. So he pays the tax to further the gospel mission. Take, he goes, then the sons are free. However, do not give offense to them by not paying the tax. So just go to the sea, find a fish, catch the fish, grab the coin, pay the tax. Let's move on from there. Because of Christ's compassion and mercy, he did not want to put a stumbling block before the gospel. Now, he never, ever, Jesus never compromised the truth. He never compromised where sin was involved. But here in this fish story, it is a compromise of sorts. He does pay the tax, although he's not obligated to pay the tax. He does it simply because it was not important to him. What was of greatest importance to him is the good news, is the gospel. Christ's mission was also his disciples' mission. It's what he's been preparing them for for the past three years. And this fish story is a vivid, it's a vivid object lesson about gospel ministry. His disciples are exempt from the temple tax as well because they are sons and daughters of the king. They belong to the kingdom. They don't have to pay the temple tax. But Jesus has Peter get the coin to pay for both of them so as not to bring offense, to not bring a stumbling block before others. And this is also a vivid lesson on how not to put stumbling blocks before the gospel. It seems unusual for Jesus to say, He didn't want to offend somebody because he did it so often. Like last week when we talked about his response to his disciples who couldn't cast out a demon. Oh, you faithless generation. But here he was willing to set aside his own rights for the sake of the gospel. Something he he did in his incarnation. He set aside his his heavenly rights, his heavenly glory. He laid aside his glory in coming to earth. That's what he gave up. 
He paid the temple tax even though it was an insult to his glory. He emptied himself for our sake. In humility, that's what he did in coming to earth. He came to redeem us and atone for our sins by putting himself on the cross and not putting a stumbling block before the gospel. He'd never compromised the truth, but he knew where to compromise. And Paul, like Jesus, was willing to give up his freedoms for the gospel. Brothers and sisters, th- this is what this lesson is for us. Look at 1 Corinthians 9 with me, and it'll on the screen. Paul writes, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not my, being myself as one under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I become all things to all people, that by all means, I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I might share with them in its blessings." Paul Paul did not view his freedom as an opportunity to pursue his own interests. He gave up his personal freedoms for the sake of serving others to bring them to Christ. The gospel was entrusted to him as it's been entrusted to us. And so every encounter, every personal habit was now under Christ's control in Paul's life, and it should be under control in our lives. Hudson Taylor, English, British missionary, goes to China. He has refused support because the Brits didn't think he needed to go to China. He goes and he begins trying to reach people for the gospel. Nothing happens. What does he do? He begins inculcating himself into the culture. He dresses like someone who lives in China. He has his hair in a certain way, like someone from China. He begins to live with them. He set aside his own rights. He set aside his own freedoms to enter into their world that he might bring some to saving faith in Christ. And then the question we asked this morning, what freedoms for the sake of the gospel can we give up? Sometimes it's just the very simple and practical family time that we have, that we give up to reach a neighbor, or personal time that we give up to reach others, personal comforts that we might give up to reach others. When I go play golf, I I like to, I, I enjoy just playing by myself. I like playing with my friends, but when I go out to the course by myself, I like playing by myself. And often, I'm paired with a cu- one guy or a couple of guys, and inevitably, inevitably, inevitably. By about the second hole, someone is using profanity because they didn't hit the shot they wanted to hit. And as this round is going on, I try to reach out, you know, hi, my name's like, where are you from? What do you do? You know, what's your job? What do you do for a living? And so usually about the fourth hole, I get the question, so what do you do? I'm a pastor. I'm so sorry. (laughs) Please forgive me, pastor. And then for the next 15 holes, it's, sorry, pastor, sorry, pastor. <laughs> now, I don't like to listen to profanity, but it's a, in a sense, it's a freedom I give up. I don't want these guys, I don't want to put a stumbling block. I don't, listen, 
I'm a Christian. Let me show you in the Bible. No coarse words. <laughs> no. No. Now, I don't use profanity like them. <laughs> I'm willing to give up a freedom. Matthew included this story to encourage us that in our mission, we are serving the all-knowing God. And although we are laborers and servants, we are not hirelings, brothers and sisters, but children who serve the king as sons and as daughters. We serve this God who is with us, who comforts us and cares for us and bears our burdens and provides for our needs and controls all things in the world so we are never alone and he is with us when we are on this mission. We are on a mission, but we are never alone. And this is what Matthew wants us to to know by recording this story. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you sent others on mission to rescue us. Thank you that now as believers, we have the joy of knowing you and learning and growing in our knowledge of your divinity and experiencing the grace of your humanity that we might follow in your steps. Help us to do that today, we pray. Help us, Lord, to, to be so gospel-oriented that lives are changed for your glory. In Christ's name, amen.